All right. Good to have you this morning. I'm the, uh, the rowdy college pastor, Joe. And um, I think um, it's my people. Um, I am so rowdy. Let me tell you how rowdy I am. That there are a lot of nights that I am in bed by 9 o'clock. That's how rowdy I am. In fact, I won't even tell you how early I went to bed this last week. But I'm so glad you're here. I, I work with the uh, college and young professionals. I'm, I've got a great co-pastor, Dave, that I get to work with. And, uh, and if you're in that demographic and you can decide if you're in that demographic, we'd love to have you if you're not connected somewhere else. Um, come meet me afterward. Love to get you um, knit in. The, uh, the, M- Michael already mentioned um, just an update on Mark. Uh, he had a direct COVID exposure, if you didn't hear um, earlier. And he, um, he and Laura Lee both tested positive. And, um, and they're on the men. So Lord willing, Mark's going to be back next week. Um, the other update I was going to give you is um, on our 1340 building. If you're new with New Hope, we, we were gifted a building when we first started back in 2007. And um, we've kept that building and we use it for um, primarily our youth uh, ministry, like, I mean high school and, and middle school. And um, that happens mostly on Sunday afternoons and evenings. But we had a church that we've got a chance to have start renting that space from us in the morning on Sundays. And so if you ever drive by and it looks like there's a bunch of people in that parking lot, it's because um, Covenant Life Community Church is using that. So it's great. If you get a chance to pray for them, they're, they are actively wanting to um, proclaim God's word and, um, and help get the gospel out to people in the area as well. So it's really good just to be able to, to see what God's doing and how he's using that, that building to advance um, the kingdom of God here. So let's pray and then we'll dive in. Father, we're so glad that we get to be here this morning. I just think about the, the idea that um, you intervened in our life or you are in the process of intervening. And God, we are so thankful for that, that you uh, haven't just left us alone, but that you want to work in us, that you want to get our attention, that you want to change us and make us more like Jesus. That's what we were created for, God. And you, you don't want to just have us miss out on, on the life that you would have us live here. Where we look more like Jesus, we act more like Jesus, we have a heart that reflects um, who he is. And so God, we just thank you that you want to do something in us today. We pray that we would yield. Help us to orient our life around you and what you're doing. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. As Pastor Mark's been making his way through this series from eternity past all the way to eternity future, he's calling it the E2E series. I've been doing a side series here at New Hope where we've been looking at the Apostle Paul and one of the letters he wrote to the church in Philippi. The series is called Regardless. And I've, I've enjoyed studying and really preparing as I've worked through this letter because it's so applicable to my life. My circumstances and my world around me want to rob me of joy. A joy that comes from knowing Jesus and is really independent of the ups and the downs of life. A joy that we can have regardless, regardless of trials and struggles and suffering. And Paul didn't just give us some platitudes that would look really good on a coffee mug. No, he experienced this in his life. As he sat in a prison cell, chained between two Roman guards. And so today, as we look at God's word, we're going to have another chance to learn from God how we can grow into people who are transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so today, if you have a Bible or a web-enabled device, you can flip or tap your way to Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 12. And as you're getting there, this is what 
Paul wrote, this is what we read. He says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I love what, that we get a chance to look at this section of scripture today. Because what Paul does for us in these two verses is incredible. He really lays a foundation for where our power comes from in, for the Christian life, to live out the Christian faith. See, things get so twisted up in our world. And I don't know if this is just me or if you're anything like me, but I grew up thinking that I had to work really hard to win God's approval. I knew that I was a sinner and that I had basically made a mess out of my life. And so I just figured I had to dig myself out of this hole that I had created. My hope was that at the end of my days, my good would somehow outweigh my bad and that God would receive me into his presence. But then I learned the truth about the Christian faith, that becoming a follower of Jesus was all about trusting in what Jesus did for you and me. That Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection was sufficient payment to make me forever not guilty to stand before a holy God. The entire gospel message is that God the Son became Jesus the man, entered into humanity on a rescue mission to save you and me. And Jesus died the death that we deserve to die so that we could be given his righteousness and that we could be reconnected with God the Father in this life and for eternity. And so there's nothing even remotely true about this idea that we can earn God's favor by trying harder or by being a good person. And so we get clarity about the faith that is Jesus plus nothing that equals everything for us. It's all him and we put our trust in him. And so we start off there, but for many of us, now we think Jesus has got me for salvation, but I need to get to work to grow up in my faith. Like now I need to buckle down and kind of white knuckle it. So we begin to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. But the problem is we miss how the gospel speaks to us as followers of Jesus. See, the gospel says that God started the work in us and God will carry it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? That's one we started with several months ago when we started Philippians. That's Philippians chapter one, verse six. But here's the rock solid foundation for all that follows today and beyond. God rescued us by the gospel and he's sanctifying us or helping us grow toward maturity by that same gospel. So Paul starts by commending these people for their obedience to Jesus. And what he says about them is really worth noting. He says that they always obeyed, not only when he was physically with them, but also after he had left Philippi. Well, why is that significant? Two reasons. The first one is this. It's significant that Paul talks about obedience and he commends obedience. See, in the church at large, we love to talk about grace. Grace. And it seems like we prefer to talk about grace rather than obedience. But the truth is grace teaches us to obey. The gospel actually moves us toward obedience. 
And obedience is a big deal as we look to the New Testament writers. So you think this is the issue. We focus way more on orthodoxy in the American church than we do on orthopraxy. We focus more on right beliefs than on right living. And to some degree, I think that's a good thing because we move in the direction of our thinking, right? So if our thinking and our beliefs are off, well, how we live is going to be off as well. But at some point, after focusing on orthodoxy, we need to step in and look at what, what are we doing as a result of what we believe. And to be honest, I think the church as a whole isn't doing all that great in the obedience area. See, the problem is that the church has lots of knowledge, but there's often too big of a gap between our knowledge and our obedience. So what we have is a church that hasn't exercised her faith and she's soft. We know so much and really we need to do what we know. I read an article uh, in the last couple of weeks that talked about how the evangelical church in America is buckling. It's imploding upon itself right now. And the author of the, of the article made some really good points. He said that we, again, I'm speaking generically about the church in, in America, have focused more on politics than we have on discipleship. So what we have in the church is people who have been around the church for years, but are relatively still immature. Now, I'm not saying that that's necessarily true of New Hope. I'm glad that we focused on, on the gospel and, and, and on proclaiming God's word. And we haven't got distracted with a political agenda. And I know that's controversial to talk about, and I'm okay with that. Because I believe we have a lot of opportunity to make strides in our obedience as a church. Obedience. Obedience is the mark of maturity. Knowledge isn't the mark of maturity. We have churches and Christians full of knowledge. And these churches are imploding because they lack Christ-like maturity. If you want to become mature, yield to the work that God is doing in your life. And that's what Paul is applauding these people in Philippi. That's the first thing to note. The second is this. Paul has, was encouraged that they had obeyed when he was with them and after he left. Anyone can put a show on for a short period of time. People do it all the time. We can act like a Christ follower in front of certain people and then put on a different costume when we're around another group of people. It's called being two-faced. But the Philippian Christ followers were sincerely connected to Jesus. And because of the indwelling Holy Spirit in them, they lived out their faith through obedience. They were the same when Paul was with them as they were after Paul left. And see, I think Paul was encouraged by this because he wasn't sure, if you remember, he wasn't sure how much longer he had on earth. In his mind, his life could be taken from him at any point. And more than anything, he wanted his children in the faith to continue to walk in the faith. And so Paul was encouraged by their obedience. He wrote that, again, he said, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, he wrote this. He said, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 
Now this verse may be one of the more challenging verses to handle correctly. It would be really easy to think that somehow this verse has something to do with your security as a follower of Jesus. Or that somehow you have to do something to successfully hold on to your faith. Like I need to be, I need to be worried. I need to be afraid. Somehow I need to work out my salvation and I need to be afraid because if I don't do something right, I'm going to lose it. But I think what Paul's communicating in this passage is way different than either of those thoughts. I love what Warren Wearsby says about this verse. He says this. He says, The verb work out carries the meaning of work to full completion, such as working out a problem in mathematics. In Paul's day, it was also used for working a mine. That is, getting out of the mine all the valuable or possible. Or it was also used for this idea of working a field so as to get the greatest harvest possible. And so the purpose God wants us to achieve is Christ-likeness, to be conformed to the image of his son. So the idea of working out our salvation is simply this. We're to live out our salvation in our daily life. And as we live out or work out our salvation, we move toward becoming more like Jesus. To put it another way, our responsibility is to live in such a way where we're aligned with our salvation. The gospel has such an influence in our lives that it penetrates into every nook and cranny of our worlds. So that our relationship with Christ really transforms every part of our hearts. So it would start in here and it would make its way into every social relationship, every business interaction, and everything in between. And so Paul was essentially saying to this church that they were to act like Christians. They were to follow Christ. Now, Paul said that they were to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. Why would Paul use those words? What's Paul driving at here? See, again, most of us, we get uncomfortable when we see Paul talk about that that we should have this kind of sense of fear and trembling. So what's Paul getting at? One commentary writer that I like to read says this. He says, in addition to obedience, the Philippians were to be sober. The precise words are fear and trembling. These words reminded them of their relationship to God and that they were to conduct their lives with a seriousness and a reverence due him. After all, it was God who worked in them. Another commentary writer gives this detail. He says this, the fear and trembling Paul speaks of is not slavish fear, but trembling anxiety not to fall short of the goal. What's the goal? The goal is to become like Jesus. Let's look at one more. This this commentary writer says this. He says, a literal rendering of with fear and trembling might suggest that the Philippian Christians should be fearful of their enemies and tremble because of them. It may even be misleading to speak of with fear and trembling before God or while you are fearing God and trembling before him. A more appropriate equivalent in a number of languages is this, with complete devotion to God or with complete reverence for God. And so to put it all together, fear and trembling looks more like being sobered. It's having a seriousness and a reverence toward Jesus because of this incredible work he's doing in us. And now that makes sense, especially as we look 
at verse 13 as well. Because in verse 13, we see the power for us to work out our salvation. Paul says this, he says, for it is God who works in you. The Greek word there to work is this word enerejo. And it, it's, it means to cause to function or to bring about, to be in action or activity, to produce, to work, to affect, to be the object of action, the one producing. That Greek word is where we get our word energy from, power. And so God is the one who wants to power your life. He wants to work in you. So you can think about it this way. If you're in Christ, you have the spirit in you. You have your power source. God places his spirit in you to lead you and to empower you. So follow me here. In Christ, it's like you have this incredible electrical power source coming into your house, into your home. The power's there. There's no shortage of electricity to power your house. But in order to have the power actually work, you have to actually flip on the light switch, right? The power coming to your house is God working in you. You flipping the switch to turn on the light is you working out your salvation. For far too many of us, we have all the power we need and yet we live in a dark house because we never flip on the light switch. Now, if you and I were to read this text the way that the Philippian believers would have read it in the first century, you would see that the text emphasizes God. God is the one who works in you so that you can work out your salvation. God is big in the equation, but don't think you don't have a role. God works in you and you're to work out your salvation as you move toward becoming like Jesus. Now for my own life, I can't tell you how many times the Holy Spirit nudges me to move in a direction. I mean, he, he nudges me to move away from temptation, to keep my mouth shut or to open my mouth. It's really sobering. It's sobering to realize just how much God wants to work in me and in you. And honestly, sometimes I flip the switch on and sometimes I ignore him. Often when I fail, I can go back to the beginning of the trial or the temptation and see how God was empowering me to move in a different direction. And I chose to disobey. And I, I don't have any problem telling you that. Where I feel the sadness is that I missed out. I missed out on what God wanted to do in me in that situation. Like I, I missed out on the power to live out the, the life that I was made to live. That's a sadness for me. But I'm also encouraged. I'm encouraged because I know God isn't gonna give up on me. And he's for me. I love that song. Man, I think when you, sing, when you sing that God is for you and you sing it about the seventh or eighth time, you start to go, man, I think God might be for me. And so God doesn't give up on you either. And he's for you. 
And so you know what? If you fail the test like I do, sometimes you can just trust that God is going to give you another test. You're going to get another opportunity. And the next time you get that opportunity, you want to be that person who flips on the switch. I'm going to walk in that power that you give me, God. God works in us so that we can work out. Well, so how does God work in us? The Bible actually speaks to three specific ways that God works in us. The first way is that God works in us through his word. 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul writes this. He says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Now, we've talked about this before, but it's more than just reading the, God, the word of God. We need to have such a good command of God's word that the spirit of God can bring it back to our minds so that it can work in us. And again, it's more than just knowledge. It has to be applied. Truth that's applied is what sets someone free. I want to give you a great example from my life of applying the word. Um, one of my favorite passages to apply is Romans 13. Paul writes this, he says, Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. And then verse 14, he says this, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Make no provision for the flesh. Okay, so the application is God wants us to move away from the things that stir up fleshly desires. And so if I'm applying the word to my life so that God can work in me, I might decide that I'm not going to have another drink. I'm going to steer clear of certain scenarios, maybe certain parties where things might just get stirred up in me. I might steer clear of slip, slippery slope sin scenarios. You say that 10 times. One of the greatest poets of our day, a, a guy named Chris Stapleton says it best. I'm actually going to sing it for you. He says this. He says, because I know you. Sing with me. And you know me. And we both know where this is going to lead. You want me to say that I want you to stay. So you should probably leave. Yeah, you should probably leave. If you listen to that Stapleton song, there's about 10 times in that song where you're like, man, this guy needs to get out of this scenario. <laughs> and I love that song because I think God just gives it to us as a way of thinking about in our lives, how many times is God like, you should just, you need to leave. You need to leave. You need to leave. You need to leave. And we're just like, I should probably leave. You should leave. That's what it looks like to apply the word. And then you see how God's given us his word to work in us. Energy for us to work out our salvation. That's the first thing. The second thing is prayer. God uses our prayer life to transform us. Uh, Wearsby says this too. I love what he says. He says, the Holy Spirit is closely related to the practice of prayer in our lives. The book of Acts makes it clear that prayer is a divinely ordained 
source of spiritual power. And so it seems like I'm just constantly recommitting myself to praying daily. I can get away from it. I can feel like I'm just going to pray on the run. And I'm like, I don't want to be legalistic. I don't want to be too formal. But then I just realized, you know, when, when I pray on a, on a daily basis, when I have a, a commune with God on a daily basis, I am way more prone to flip the switch on. Just to access the power that God has for me. To walk in it. And the third way that the Bible talks about as far as God working us in us is through trials and testing. Some of my greatest growth and progress in the faith has come through trials and testing, pain. Romans 5, Paul writes this, he says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. If we want hope, God says we, we start with suffering. And then James tells us this. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so this is one of the ways we can be confident that God is at work in us because he allows trials or he purposely takes us through something with the goal of making us like his son. And so how do we work out? That, that's how God works in us. How do we work things out? Well, the first way is I think we recognize what God's doing in us. We're trying to kind of put the puzzle pieces together or connect the dots of what God's doing in, in us. And so a lot of times we can do that by just looking at patterns. Patterns, where, what are, where are the, some of the patterns that we can see in our lives? Maybe patterns where we're seeing stuff in relationships, where we just kind of keep colliding with, you know, with something in the, our relational world. Maybe we're, we're dealing with the same kinds of things in, in a bunch of different relationships that we're involved in. Maybe the same thing could be said in, in our responsibilities. Like, are we running into the same kinds of scenarios in our responsibilities? We just kind of feel like we're hitting a wall. Or are there, again, a pattern of trials that God's taking us through? And you're like, oh my gosh, look at that. Look at that. Look at that. God's trying to get my attention. He wants to do something in me. So that's, we, first, we recognize what he's doing. Then we want to yield to what he's doing in us. How can I submit to God? Is there a clear application in God's word that speaks to what is going on in my world? And then after that, we want to take a next step of obedience. How can I move forward with what God's doing in my world? It's a great place to talk about processing your life with other people. It's oftentimes, it's really hard to do this on your own. And so that's why we're involved in the church. We get to do that with each other. I mean, God gave the church the responsibility of making disciples of the nations. And if that's our responsibility, it has to start right here. We start by discipling each other. And that could be one of the reasons why the church as a whole is immature is because the church has never experienced what discipleship really looks like. 
And so this would be a great opportunity to see uh, and consider what it might look like to get into a small group, like to jump in with a, a group of people who could help you kind of walk through life and process what God's doing and learn to apply the truth of God to your life. And so if you aren't in a small group here, I just would encourage you, email Jeff, jeff at nhchurch.com. And I'm not sure if, if that's okay to do or not, but I'm telling you, you can do it. I, I'm, I think Jeff will be fine with that. And so it's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The last word I want to look at with you is that, that word to will. In the Greek, it's the word phalo. And it means to a purpose or desire or enjoy or be of an opinion or to be willing to. And so as God works in us, he begins to change our desires so that we want what he wants in our lives and in our world. He, he moves us to want and to work for his good pleasure. So what are the, the, some of the kinds of things that would make up um, God's good pleasure? I think there's a number of things. Here's a couple that came to my mind. People coming to faith in Jesus, for sure. Anything that has to do with redemption, for sure. Christians being freed from sin, for sure. Obedience, for sure. I mean, even today that we get a chance to, to watch people take a step of obedience and, and get baptized, publicly identifying as Christ followers. That's, that's pleasing to God. That's part of God's good pleasure. And ultimately, God's good pleasure is us glorifying him with our lives. So today as we close, if you're in Christ, you have all the energy, all the working power necessary for you to work out or to live out your salvation. And you have the responsibility to flip the switch as you choose to yield to what God is doing in you. God is always at work. He's always at work around us. He wants to use his word, your prayer life, and trials to move the ball down the field as we become more like Jesus. And so this week, let's flip the switch as much as possible and allow him to do what he wants in and through us. I'm going to invite everybody that's going to be baptized to come up before I pray. I'm going to have you kind of gather over here if you haven't already aligned yourself that way. And, um, and let's pray and, uh, and we'll get a chance to celebrate with these people um, what God's doing in their world. Gosh, Father, it's so good just to think about your heart toward us. That you are for us. That you're not against us. And you say that 
If God is for us, who can be against us? No, he who didn't spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God, you want to give us all things. It's crazy to think about how you think about us. And so God, we want to, we want to just get on the same page with you. We want to align ourselves with what you're doing in us. God, we want to yield to you. You give us the power. God, help us to flip the switch so that we can say yes to you and allow you to work through us and that you would work out our salvation. As you work in us, we would work it out. Man, I just think you have so much for us. I think it's sobering to think, I don't want to miss out on what you want to do in me. We don't want to miss out on what you're doing in us, what you want to do in us. So God, help us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.